0: what is going on everybody P4C the podcast a little pre NFL free agency edition where we got a lot of quarterback talk Daniel Jones he's going to be a giant for uh, several more years Lamar Jackson some outrage from his camp or at least his uh, public fan club and not having any interest from other teams reportedly Ahead of free agency, and then Aaron Rodgers and the Jets—they're meeting up, and you got pitch clocks and MLB, and the Padres are spending money. There's a lot we got to catch up on since we last talked. So here it is, episode 111 of the podcast. I'm sure someone who's listening here, much like myself, has always feared the unknown when leaving something or contemplating leaving something. Obviously, you know, relationships are always the big one. If you what uh, what's life going to be like if I break up with this person or divorce this person? Oftentimes with jobs though, it's the same thing. What what is life like outside of my current role? And when you really get to thinking about that, it can become a really scary thing. So then that's how you see people that are working for the same job for seven, eight, nine, 15 years because they're just too scared to to take the leap outside of that. And maybe it is a good thing because you do have a good situation and you don't want to ruin it and maybe it's not your favorite thing, but there are some good benefits to it. So so maybe ultimately it's it's not a bad move to to stay in your lane and stay in your your little bubble. But a situation like the New York Giants with Daniel Jones, and signing him to 35 million a year. and I understand the contract details as far as like guaranteed money hasn't come out yet, and we'll see what that looks like here in a couple weeks, once that or really a week, once the deal is actually finalized, once free agencies start the uh, the start of the new league year, as they call it, we'll, we'll find out those details and, and see if it's as honorious as, as it appears. But all I know, is that Daniel Jones drafted six overall, who, you know, I kind of like he's an okay player, but from draft slot number six overall to contract now, the guy has never lived up to either of those billings. And the Giants, who were such a great organization, um, dating back to the 80s, when you had Belichick and Parcells, they were um, one of the, Uh, pioneers in the grading system and drafting of NFL players uh, with George Young used to be the GM and he's legendary amongst the general manager general manager circles you know it's just a far cry nowadays from where they once were because they are just refusing to divorce their own guys and I'm not even mad about them bringing back Daniel Jones I like Daniel Jones at a price not $35 million a year. Saquon Barkley at $10 million, I like that a lot. So they did accomplish one thing on Monday in getting him tagged. But the whole Daniel Jones thing, having his reps fly out, and just really being narrowed in on getting him to a contract extension before free agency, it doesn't make any sense to me. It really doesn't. Because life without Daniel Jones, it could be pretty good. You could go to Jimmy Garoppolo. I know he's got to stay healthy, but Jimmy Garoppolo gives a lot of the same things as Daniel Jones, and the guy's played in a lot of playoff football games, even a Super Bowl, and he's come from a high-level organization. Lamar Jackson's now to be had. I don't love him as a fit for the Giants, but that's the type of talent that's out there. It's really strange that the Giants, again, historically, have had great scouting departments and have had great general managers. I think they got a good one in Joe Sheen right now and a good head coach in Brian Dayball. Why are they afraid to let their scouts do the work? Once you let Daniel Jones go, it's now it's time to do our job. Now it's time to go draft a quarterback and find a guy that can play right away and just be serviceable for us. Who can replace Daniel Jones? That's not that tall of a task. But for whatever reason, they're scared about letting him go see the market. You know what I think Daniel Jones would find out? Is nobody's offering him $35 million a year outside of the New York Giants. So why the hell are the G-men doing it? You can lowball them and you can get them at a cheaper rate and then you can have a more competitive team. It's being stuck in your ways. It's being fearful of what's outside of the bubble that you live in. We've all been there. But I think a high-level organization in the NFL, you can't afford to do that. And the Giants really messed up with this one. It was a great day for the sports media activists who really like to put their philanthropist hats on. I was not expecting. This is one thing that I was truly baffled by. Was not expecting it. That the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes reportedly... Panthers, Falcons, uh, Dolphins, um, uh, there's another team I'm I'm missing there. Maybe it was the Jets. They're not going to have interest in pursuing Lamar Jackson once free agency starts. The Ryan Clarks of the world at ESPN, the Mike Florios of NBC, Andrew Brandt, Sports Illustrated, Mike Silver, used to be at NFL Network, even the local guys here were all baffled by this and we're throwing around things like rotten and uh, and collusion that truly surprised me that people are that radical with Lamar Jackson and feel the need to defend this guy that much it's really not all that hard to understand 2 years ago is when the Ravens and Lamar could have come to a contract extension off his rookie deal Lamar Jackson was not motivated to negotiate that's why it didn't happen And then, last year, about this time, Deshaun Jackson was signed to a fully guaranteed $230 million contract by the Browns, who are historically a moronic franchise. They've done a lot of losing in their time. The Ravens? Financially prudent. Analytic. Pioneers of how you go about finding players in the draft. From Ozzie Newsome to Eric DaCosta. High-level head coach. They do things the right way. And it was after that contract extension that the owner, Steve Buschetti, talked about how Lamar Jackson actually needs to sit down and negotiate with the general manager. That's right. The guy represents himself and he has his mother sit in on the negotiations, all of which have been fully guaranteed proposals from what's been reported. So when a team has to surrender two first-round picks. They know that the player is only seeking fully guaranteed dollars, all at or above what Deshaun Watson has earned. Again, a disaster train wreck contract. I can understand that maybe the suitors out there, outside of the Ravens, aren't all that interested. I know people love to pound the table because he was overlooked coming out of the draft. But this has just reached asinine levels when free agency hasn't even started. It's one thing to be reported. It's another when it actually when rubber meets the road, which we'll find out next week. I tend to believe there are going to be teams that are interested in Lamar. He's a phenomenal athlete. He's a phenomenal football player. Do do I love him? No. But I think he offers a lot. There are some red flags though. Like what exactly happened at the end of the year? Didn't travel with the team. Head coach doesn't want to talk about your injury any longer. Maybe he was fully fully injured, and there that's all there is to it. I know Rappaport tweeted that out a couple weeks ago. Lamar obviously posted the update himself. Maybe he was just injured, and that's why he wasn't out there. But teams do have some questions like, hey, did you kind of nurse that a little bit? Did you not exactly go full go on rehab? Were you not willing to put it on the line for your team? In NFL circles, you know, people don't look at you the same when you kind of sit out a playoff game, if that's what happened. The other thing here, and I've been saying it for a little bit now, the guy has missed time each year because he was sick. The past three years, go look at it. And I'm not talking COVID sick. I'm just talking about like flu and colder or whatever, non-COVID illness. The guy just gets sick at the end of the year. So he's not only missing games because he's injured, because that's his style of play. The guy also just doesn't know how to stay healthy from from an illness perspective. So that's just kind of weird. You throw in that and the fact that he's the one negotiating and he hasn't been motivated to get a deal and he clearly is living in la-la land. I can understand where some teams are just like, yeah, I'm going to look the other way. I'm going to look at a different player. Because when you bake in the player and his scheme and the style of player that he is overall, you have to vastly pivot as far as what you're looking for as an organization. You build your team around the quarterback. He's a different quarterback. Very good at what he does, but it's completely different and everything is played off of him. So when you see that there are reports that maybe a team like Atlanta, who's going into their third year with a head coach, the Dolphins' second-year head coach, that they're not interested? Yeah, because they don't want to restart what they've already done from a drafting and player team-building perspective. I know in a vacuum, people will look at, MVP in his prime! What the hell's going on? When you actually get deep beneath the surface, you can understand where they're not all going to be interested. So, from all the reporting that I see, Aaron Rodgers is gonna play football. He definitely doesn't sound like a cat that's gonna walk away and he's content. Usually you can hear in the voice of players, Tom Brady, when he was addressing the media after the playoff loss to the Cowboys, you could tell, like, okay, this is it's legitimate. He might consider it. I was somewhat surprised because I don't see Tom Brady going out on a loss, but you know, he did. He he sounded like it at the podium. Aaron Rodgers is talking like a guy who wants a little of attention when he when he's on McAfee and just talking about spirit and finding myself like that that doesn't sound like a guy who's ready to walk away from football. Typically, when, when you're saying goodbye to something, you're definitely pouring your heart out on on what it's meant to you. He's not doing that. So he's going to be playing football. But the Packers, as I predicted, they're moving on. And think about how crazy that is, that the Packers, we're, we're so deep into this that we understand it, but think how crazy it is that a guy that won back-to-back MVPs as recently as last year, 2020 and 2021, the team now wants to get rid of them because they're sick of the guy. They're sick of this, I'm retiring, I'm not retiring, find myself pooping and peeing in the woods and, and sitting in the dark. Yeah, they're, they're over it. This is Green Bay. This is not Oregon and California where where you hang out in the offseason. We want a guy who's motivated, who's hungry. This is called title town. It's actually kind of nuts that we we don't realize how crazy that this will be. A Hall of Fame quarterback who's still playing at a Hall of Fame level. I know last year he, he didn't have the numbers, but as we all know, when when he's not into it, He's just not going to play, but I, I do think he can turn it on, so to speak, if he was actually a motivated player. So he's, he's still at his peak performance. He's going to go to the Jets, and a guy who doesn't like to be pressed with uh with questions that are, are kind of baitful, he's about to go to the shark of all media networks in New York City. This is, this is going to be something to watch. This is going to be neat, because you, you do have a good team. You got a Robert Sala, who, you know, I think the guy can coach a little bit. I think he's a little rah-rah, and he's a little too optimistic. It's going to be interesting. I don't know exactly how those personalities will mesh, but he's going to have a lot of weapons. It's going to be a young team. And, and, And the guys that Aaron Rodgers has always been pounding the table for are veterans. Like, he wanted Randall Cobb and... Mercedes Lewis, and he's going to go to a team that's full of young guys who are unproven. So, does that motivate him? Does that frustrate him? So far, I see mixed reviews on how this would be fit-wise, and I tend to be a little bit more pessimistic. This could go up in flames for Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets. And I know it's not done yet, but we haven't even heard of another team out there that might be willing to take the plunge and actually trade for this guy it would definitely have to be on really good terms for the team receiving Aaron Rodgers and you know for Green Bay it's kind of a raw deal for them but they are just so exhausted from this process they're just ready to get him the hell out of there interesting I'm uh recording this here on Wednesday evening and I got Jim Beheim, Syracuse head coach is not returning and looks like he's going to be done coaching the orange and you know I'm not the biggest college guy but obviously you know who Jim Boeheim is and done a great job won a couple national championships and just one of those legendary coaches like uh, Shashevsky and and Roy Williams and um, uh, Bill Self you know just done a great job but you know that's kind of the issue with college sports is that you get these coaches in there that just, they run the organization, they run the the the, the school, and they, they just never leave. And, you know, it could be a good thing if you still have the drive, if you're still hungry, but oftentimes, too, it just becomes country club. And, it, you know, it's just a thing that they do. And, you know, they, they kind of lose that edge of actually wanting to win. And while you can get some good players... And that lands you some wins. Ultimately, you're not always hunting the championship, and that's kind of what I see with with Bayheim a little bit. Um, Calipari, I know the Wildcats have fell off again. I'm not the biggest college hoops guy, but you know that that's what happens with these jobs, and it makes on the football side of things Saban all the more impressive. Like he's just continuously resetting, like Belichick in the NFL. It's on to the next one, and you know with college hoops. Um, you know, you've just not seen that uh, as often. But Bayheim, hell of a career, and, and uh hope the Orange find their next head coach. Thus far in spring training, though, Major League Baseball, everybody seems to be pretty compliant with the pitch clock um, that's been instituted so far, and we'll see, in, in 2023. Obviously, I'm not a huge fan of it. I have watched baseball my entire life, as everybody else, that you just don't have a clock. It's not a part of the game. It's one of the unique things about baseball. I have been okay with the idea of a clock to speed the game up. This seems to be regulated a little bit too much, and it is just spring training, so it's difficult to gauge how this is going to play out because the games don't matter. And all I keep thinking about is the late innings, the the sixth inning on, seventh, eighth, and ninth, when there's key at-bats, second and third, one out, 2-2 two, two count, you have your setup man in, and you want to know what pitch to go with, and you have 20 seconds to make a decision? I know I don't want to see Shohei Otani versus uh, Edwin Diaz. That's an interleague game. I don't, I don't even know if that happening this year. I guess it does because of the the new schedule. Kind of we're getting used to that. I don't want to see Shohei Otani and Edwin Diaz. I don't want to see that showdown and then it be rushed. And, you know, one thing that I've noticed in watching these games is that when you have a foul ball and the hitter takes a a G-hack and then his momentum is taken out of the box, he obviously looks up at the ball, tries to track it, and then he gathers himself and then walks back to the box. But meanwhile, the umpire, as soon as he knows that the ball is going into foul territory, reaches in his side pocket, pulls out a baseball, and the hand of the catcher is awaiting him. And the ball goes into the hand of the catcher, who tosses it to the pitcher, and the clock starts. So the hitter is already at a disadvantage. The ball is in the pitcher's hands before his head has even come down from tracking the previous pitch, the foul ball. So I don't like that the pitchers are able to manipulate this so much. And then you get a timeout and then the runners on base can just take off as the clock is winding down. And, you know, maybe this is just not being amenable to change. I don't know. It's difficult to gauge because the games don't mean anything. All I keep start thinking about, all I keep thinking about is when the games actually matter. And we're going to find out quickly. Like day one... Game one, whoever your team is, you're going to be watching a very close game where the stakes are high, and you're going to realize, damn, this play clock, this pitch clock is coming in and is being an element in this game. Is that really going to be fun? I don't know. Maybe it works out just fine. Maybe there's enough young players to where they adapt. The good news is, and I've thought about this too, MLB can work with the Players Union and Tony Clark. This, you know, bodes well for for my happiness because I would like to not see a pitch clock. He is as old school as it gets, Tony Clark. I can see him and Manfred, if this isn't working out, they could scrap it by June. They really could. Now, the Major League Baseball won't want to do that, but if it's truly a colossal disaster, which I don't think it will, never know, they can just scratch it and be done with it. So it's one of those things that doesn't really have any Harm if you do eliminate it, but if you can get the game moving, if you can generate more interest, I'm all for that. Uh, but personally, I just keep thinking about late inning, late game situations, and this clock is going to be a factor, which is no fun at all. I'm not much of a hockey washer. You know, I of course pay attention to the to the St. Louis Blues, and some of our earlier episodes were very Blues heavy because this podcast launched. During their run to the Stanley Cup, I'll I'll never forget, Um, I was with a buddy out to eat, and it was December, the lowest point of their season. I believe they were in last place in their division. And my friend and I were were out watching the game, getting a bite to eat, and I asked him, do you want to finish and and watch this game? He said, yeah, if it was a better season, I might, but with this season, I don't. Little did we know the St. Louis Blues would turn it around and, and win the whole, whole damn thing. So, absolute magical year. I'm now talking about hockey, though, because I'm seeing a couple of uh, of low blows. One, literally, a Flyers guy sticked a Lightning player in the, in the crotch, and it started a melee yesterday on the ice, which I think is just... I mean, talk about cowardly. Of all the sports, I would never expect an NHL player to take that. And then also... Coincidentally, the Lightning a couple weeks ago or just last week, a guy spit on another player. It's kind of very un NHL like. I've always kind of held them as the toughest of the tough. They actually put their money where their mouth is, so to speak, and they throw up their hands and they'll brawl. And I'm not, you know, a goon in that that's why I like watching hockey every now and then. But of all the sports, it's like, you know, these guys, if you want to actually uh, level up, they're they're actually going to put their their hands up. It's not like the NBA where they, you know, go to Twitter and start adding each other or subtweeting. They'll they'll actually fight. So, you know, to see these kind of moves is a little it's a little bit of a ding to the NHL, but still they they're the toughest of uh, of all the sports, I think. But I definitely want to touch on San Diego Padres because they just continue to add payroll and one of the things that I think is getting lost a little bit is that they are not a small market. They're not a big market. They're not Los Angeles. They're not San Francisco, but they're not a small market. I understand they're the only show in town. Chargers have left, but they they got from a, a, a TV market revenue perspective. They're actually pretty good. I, I would kind of categorize them as more mid-market, kind of like St. Louis. St. Louis is a little bit bigger because they, they have more territory as far as radio and TV and being able to generate uh, income that way. But they're more middle than they are small market. So it's no surprise that they can actually provide this type of cash, but it's also taking a, a short-term approach for a long-term gain. And that is having recognition with your roster. For years now, they're going to have Machado, Tatis, unless they trade him, Bogarts, U Darvish, all these guys that are under contract for Hundreds of millions of dollars. Close to a billion dollars. And you're going to know when you show up to Petco Park who's going to play. It's a little Jerry Jones-like with the Cowboys. Everybody's wondering why they want to bring Zeke back. Because fans, they are related to by players on the team. And they want to know that their favorite players are going to be out there. Some guys don't really give a shit if Zeke is good or not. Some guys don't care how good and productive Machado's going to be when he's 38. They just know that they like Manny Machado, and that's why they're going to go out and see their team in person. That's where the Red Sox, they're acting a little too much like the Rays. The Rays have to be the Rays because they don't have the financial income to actually go out and get guys. That's where the Red Sox are probably making a mistake and not re-upping with guys like Alexander Bogarts and Mookie Betts. Meanwhile, the Dodgers... The Padres, they're going to be a marketable team not only because they win a lot of games, because the layman, the common man, is going to know who plays for their team and know that they're going to be playing for their favorite team for a long time. So I really like what the Padres are doing. Is Bogarts, is Machado, are they going to suck here in probably five or six years? Yeah. But it's also not going to matter because $10 billion industry is what Major League Baseball is. And it's only gone up and up each and every year, sans pandemic, obvious reasons. The Major League Baseball app, Fantasy Baseball, all of that stuff, including fan where people go to look up their favorite players, that's something that Major League Baseball is likely going to buy out. This is all stuff that they're gaining revenue each and every year. So I don't buy the fact that baseball is dying because the money is telling me that it's not. Maybe they're not getting any new fans at a younger age, though they just made some adjustments to how the game is played with the pitch clock that we touched on. That could change. But the money is telling me that they are raking in cash, and that's not going to end anytime soon. That's going to do it. Appreciate everybody listening. Next week, free agency. We're going to talk about all the moves. We're going to talk about... Our World Baseball Classic, which kicked off yesterday evening, it's at 10 p.m. Though I'm actually in bed this time of year at that time. No NFL games, no meaningful baseball games. I I gotta hit the hay, Uh, so I'm not gonna stay up for the the international game. But I'll definitely check out the ones that are earlier on in the day because love the World Baseball Classic. Nothing like it as far as countries across the world having meaningful baseball that they want to watch. There's no other sport where this could happen and. Uh, it's just a wonderful thing to see so we're going to talk about that NFL free agency we'll know where Lamar is going to be going we'll know where Aaron Rodgers is going to be going a lot of great things happening next week so tune into the podcast share with your friends and everybody else thanks so much for choosing the show